This is an ABC podcast. We've approached discipline in a number of ways over the years and the the consequential behaviour has been the theme throughout the way we've done it. So it be you're not having a friend over or you're not watching telly. There is a consequence and you follow through on it. it it's really effective. Often there's a lot of coercion and bribery involved. If they're behaving in a way that we would like to see changed in some way, we'll often encourage them to do what we want and then there'll be a positive reward. I'd had one child that could hit, which was unexpected. I'd never had that before and that took me a while to get my head around. But I settled on as soon as it happened, I just picked him up and put him out the front door and shut the door. I just removed him from the house. So I can't remember where I read it or who told me about it, but the idea was we do not accept this in our home. One of the questions I get asked lots as a parenting author is, how do I get my kids to know the difference between right and wrong? Discipline. Discipline is about teaching and guiding our children to make good choices with their words and their actions. And it's not the same as punishment. So let's unpack the difference and get some tips for disciplining our kids. I'm Maggie Dent and this is Parental As Anything. So punishment, rewards, shaming and smacking are not what I mean when I talk about discipline. These things don't help to teach and guide your children to make better choices, and they might even be doing damage. Dr. Vanessa Lapointe is, I believe, the voice of reason when it comes to disciplining kids without causing damage. Her goal is to get us big people to see the world through our children's eyes. Vanessa, you're a mum. Was discipline hard when your two gorgeous boys were younger? You know, I often say it's an occupational hazard to be both a mother and a child psychologist (laughs) because you're in the midst of it all with all of this glorious information in your brain, things that you know you're supposed to be doing, and yet you often find yourself backed into a corner and your own mother or your own father starts to come out (laughs) your mouth and you think, how is this happening? Why is it so hard? (laughs) Oh, we're not alone. Let's own that. That was that was me. So many parents today were raised with the notion that you need to encourage good behaviour either by ignoring or punishing bad behaviour and possibly even rewarding the good behaviour. What do we now know? What we now know about discipline needs to begin with what we now know about behaviour. When we understand child development, like we really get that our children are not tiny adults and we cannot be taking the expectations that we will have of them eventually as adults and applying that to childhood, then we really come to terms with the idea that, you know, 18-month-old children are meant to chew on other human beings. (laughs) It's what you do when you're 18 months. They won't necessarily end up being human eaters. No, No, they're not. And three-year-olds are meant uh, to lose their sweet little minds when something doesn't go their way. And in fact, your nine-year-olds and your 15-year-olds are meant to lose their sweet little minds when things don't go their way, because that's what child development's all about. 
So go to the key difference between discipline and punishment. Let's just really bring it out nice, make it clear for our parents. So punishment is all about making the child wrong for being human. And it has at its core shame and the experience of separation. You're not teaching them. You're actually just showing them how to be covert and how to go underground and how to begin to manipulate situations so that you get your desired outcome. We aren't um, showing them empathy and compassion. We're showing them how to be sneaky. Whereas discipline is about guiding. It's always about teaching. It's always about containment. But hear this. In all of that... I am not saying that you should just release them to the flowery meadows. (laughs) You've got to step in. You get big. You drop it like it's hot. You be full of swagger so that your kids know unequivocally who is in charge. And then you be full of heart. Yeah. Close your heart just for a minute while you really let them know they've crossed that line Mm. and then immediately open that heart back up because Mm -hmm. they need to know. And it's about those boundaries at times that, you know, we will have moments where we've got to be the parent where they want to say, I hate you, I hate you, and you're Mm -hmm. going to go, yep, I've got this. That's right. And it is not our job to make our children happy. It is our job to grow our children up in the best kind of way so that they can then be happy. What? does a parent say and do then? How do you say to a child who's really going to need some what we call tough love? Because I've got a really stubborn rooster who has just done the same thing over and over and I'm really struggling. And so we step in with the kind of energy that is full of large and in charge kind of power. And you step in with a very, very strong no. And the no can be big, and it can be loud, and it can be firm. Do not conflate that with meanness. It's not being mean. It's really just showing up as a parent, as the big person, to really provide containment and a sense of safekeeping for a child who's needing to find their way. So you show up and you get big. No. And you step in with the big no and the swagger and all the energy around that. And then you follow it up with, I know. It's not the way you wanted it to go. I know you're frustrated. And listen, nothing else can happen until this has been addressed. Are we clear? (laughs) Oh, she's scary, hey? (laughs) I just got scared. I love that. And I think every parent out there knows, okay, so I don't have to be completely soft and mushy. I think that's not going to scar a child forever, but, you know, they're not going to like you much for a bit. Well, and the thing is, as we've really come online with this idea of positive parenting and uh, compassionate discipline and all these kinds of things, and I'm that person. I talk about positive parenting and compassion all the time. That's my message. But there's been this seedy underbelly developing alongside that, which is this idea that we have to be soft and squishy all the Mm. time. And I'll tell you what, that's terrifying for children. And I often use the analogy, you know, if you are driving across a bridge and somebody has removed the guardrails from the bridge, are you going to drive across the bridge? And most normal human beings say no. There's the occasional kookaloo who says, yes, I'm going to drive across the bridge. But even that person admits they'll be driving in the center lane and very slowly. And then I say, well, have you ever run into the guardrails on a bridge? And 99.9% of humans will say no. 
And then the next question is, well, why then do you need the guardrails in order to cross over the bridge? And of course, the answer is that we find safety as humans in containment, and that is especially so for our growing children. You talk a lot about discipline without damage, mm-hmm. and that word damage, no parent wants to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you mean by that damage? Mm-hmm. And so it is a basic fact of humanity that your children will suffer their greatest wounds <laughs> at your hands, <sighs> right? And I'm a child psychologist. <laughs> my own children will suffer their greatest wounds at my hands. That's just how it goes. And the idea is that we want our children to come through the storms of life so that they can grow into adults who are hardy, not adults who have been hardened. And so the damage is when we come at discipline from such a way that they start to experience shame and they are made wrong for being who they are and they turn into hardened adults. Okay, so I'm already hearing there's some parents out there, um, possibly a bit older, who, um, and sometimes a lot of these were dads who, you know, said I was raised, you know, and I was smacked and and I turned out fine. And so really, what's the problem? What do we say to those parents? Well, when you are a child, the environment around you forms your mind. And then you grow up to become an adult who then becomes a parent. And the mind that was formed for you in childhood is now creating the environment around you in adulthood, which means that you parent your child from the mind created for you in your child. And so it's not necessarily that everything worked out fine. It's just that everything worked out the way it worked out. And it is upon you to figure out what you've got lurking beneath the surface. Because when you can grow yourself up, then you are spectacularly positioned to grow your children. I often say that you don't know how good you might have been if that hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know. Right. You might have shone a little brighter. I have smacked before because that's what my parents did, but it just felt terrible. (laughs) And I think actually those um, forms of discipline, when they're what you've grown up with, that's what you fall back on in your um, time of, you know, dire, everything's falling apart and they're driving you insane. And sometimes it takes doing it to go, actually, that feels really crap and I just don't want to do that I have to find another way and I can't let myself get into this space that I feel so bad in that I resort to that. I think back when he was five dad I don't want a bath well I'd already filled the bath it was ready to go it was soapy and hot and I had to take a stand if you don't get in the bath I'll put you in the bath with all your clothes on. Three more tries first second third pick him up put him in the bath fully clad and he absolutely went berserk. Ten minutes later, he'd got his clothes off, he'd washed himself, it was all fine. It was a bit of a tough thing to do, didn't hurt him, but the shock of it and the fulfilling the consequence was actually real. I want to talk about consequences. That's another yeah. big word that comes up around discipline mm-hmm. and things. I'm especially fond of natural consequences because obviously I had sons. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about consequences, there's this fine line that we walk between putting it on the child 
and having it be sort of teachable opportunities. So let me spell out for you a little bit of a scenario, and it'll walk us into really understanding the difference between a contrived consequence and just something that um, comes to be because a situation occurred. And so let's say there's a little girl or a little boy, let's pretend they're five years old. And they're just learning to ride their bicycle. And there's a neighbor across the road out in the front yard uh, cutting the grass, mowing the lawn. And so they can't hear what's happening between this child and this child's mother, uh, but they can observe it. They're witnessing it. And so what they see is the little girl heads off on the bicycle down the street, and then the bicycle veers out into the road. And then you see the mother come out and the little girl on the bicycle get redirected back onto the sidewalk. And off she heads down the sidewalk again. And once again, the bicycle veers out into the road. And mother comes along and moves child and bicycle back on the sidewalk. And so she heads off a third time. And for a third time in a row, the bicycle goes out into the road. Mom brings the bicycle back. And now you see mom putting the bicycle in the garage and the little girl crying. But you haven't heard any of the narrative. So let me put the narrative on in one of two uh, ways so that we can make sense of consequences. The first narrative is that the little girl rides out into the road and the mother comes along and says, this is not safe, my child. You may not be riding your bicycle in the road. And if you do it again, I'm going to take your bicycle away. And so the little girl does it again. And she gets another warning from mom. You may not do this. It is not safe. You will not be allowed to ride your bicycle if you cannot obey the rule. And then she does it again, and she says, you've lost your bicycle. It's going in the garage. You will not get to ride it for the rest of the way. That's a contrived kind of consequence. Now listen to the other way that we can approach it. So the mother comes out and says, my child, you may not ride your bicycle in the road. You need to stay on the sidewalk. Do you understand the rule, and can I count on you? And so little girl heads off again. And keep in mind, she's five. So she's just going to be riding her bike, and it's going to be <laughs> awesome, and it's so hard to stay focused, to remember the rules, right? And she rides off into the road, and mother comes along again and says, this is not safe, love. We must stay on the sidewalk, because this is how we go, and this is what we do. Do you understand, and can I count on you? And then the child heads off into the road a third time, and the mother has figured out, you know what? I've put the bar too high. She can't jump over it. She's not successful with this task. And so she comes alongside the child and she says, my love, we're going to put the bicycle away. It's so hard to remember the rules. We're going to have another go at it another time. And for now, the bicycle will be in the garage. And the child has her big tears. And then the mom comes alongside and says, I know it's hard. It's so frustrating when you don't get to ride your bike and you lose riding your bike. I do understand. And... We will not be riding the bicycle for today. Love it. And it's a bit like um, a lovely story a dad told me one day about his six-year-old son who was riding his bike Mm. and he kept on just dropping the bike behind the car Mm. on the driveway over and over, no matter how many times, you know, and rather than really go at him and lecture him and punish him, he gave him three kinds. And then when the son went to get his bike the next day, his dad had nailed it so high up he couldn't get it down. (laughs) He said, Dad, I can't get my bike. He says, no, no, mate, no. And he said, why can't I get my bike? He said, because, because you keep leaving it behind the car and I'm really worried we're going to run over it. So until you can pick it up and put it in the shed, I'm just going to leave it up there for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's not a punishment form, but it's, it's, it's a wake-up thing that says, hey, oh, okay, That's right. feel mildly uncomfortable for a bit. 
And in that example that you just provided, and the second narrative that I applied to the circumstance that I was describing, the difference is that the parent has taken it on mm. for themselves, right? That the parent has realized, oh, I got yeah. a job to do here. Yeah. My job is to teach. My job is to keep safe. And I'm going to make that happen. How important are realistic expectations in discipline in the heat of the moment? Mm-hmm. So there's <laughs> two layers of responding. And the first layer actually has nothing to do with your children. It has to do with you, that your wire has been tripped, you have been triggered, you've fallen into a big <laughs> hole of a wound, <laughs> right? And so you're now kind of reacting from a childlike, regressed sort of emotional state. And kids don't do a very great job of growing up other kids. And so you got to check in with yourself first and take a deep breath, ground yourself, Remind yourself what's going on here. You're not managing an inconvenience. You're raising a human being, so let's keep it real. And then you step in as best you can to sort of provide that containment and the guidance and the teachable uh, moment. And also understand, you're going to mess this up. Mm, like yeah. whatever day you're listening to this interview, yeah. by the end of today, <laughs> you'll have messed that up. And we all do. And you do not need to be perfect in those, in those heated moments. You just need to be good enough. Yeah. So let's get to some specifics. Okay. So what if you can never get your kids to do what you ask? Perhaps they never tidy up their mess. You have to ask them a hundred times. How do we get our children to do what we want them to do? Without losing our minds. Yeah, without losing Mm -hmm. our minds. That's the one. So I'm going to change your life right now. Are you ready? (laughs) Yep. This is how it goes. As human beings, we are born with an intuitive uh, sense to resist the guidance or influence of people to whom we are not well attached, either in the moment or more generally in relationship. And so if you come in, let's say I get home and I need my children to come up to the dinner table and they're playing and uh, interested in the things they're interested in. And I holler downstairs to them, boys, dinner. How many times in the history of ever has that worked? (laughs) Like not a single time. But if I go and find them, and I get what Dr. Gordon Neufeld, a spectacular psychologist, calls get their eyes, their smile, and their nod. And so you might say something like, oh, look at this spectacular Lego castle. You are amazing. I wonder one day if you're going to be a Lego architect. Would that not just be the coolest job in the whole world? This is stunning. And... It's two minutes till dinner. So I'm going to need you upstairs with hands washed at the table in two minutes. Do you understand? Okay, perfect. So I call that manipulate with love. That's beautiful. Manipulate with great love. You connect in order to direct. You come alongside them in order to get them on side with you. Okay, so what do you do when your child hits another, like really... Right there mm-hmm. in front of you. So you step in right away because children need containment. And so everybody needs to know what the rules are and that the rules are being held to, right? You also understand that the child who is hit is not bad. 
the child who is hit has done so because they've sort of um, lost control of their emotions and better out than in. And so they're now acting out that emotion. And so your job is to comfort that child as well as the child who has been aggressed upon. And you can do so uh, with two children at the same time. You're connecting with one using your voice, the other using touch. And so there's lots of ways to come alongside children and make sure that both kids are taken care of in that scenario. I also like that notion of standing beside them and possibly if they're looking like they're swinging ready for another is holding their hand and say, look, I'm not going to let you hit them. That's right. How you know, I want to help you. Mm-hmm. Next big one, um, your teen is telling some really big porky pies and lies and you know it's a lie. Mm-hmm. The only reason that people will lie about big sort of significant kinds of things is if they feel they're not good enough or something negative is going to happen if they tell the truth, right? So lying is always a facade. It's always a cover-up. And underneath the lie is always fear. And so rather than being punitive and understanding your lying adolescent as this, you know, horrible creature that needs to be brought into line, figure out what's going on for them under the surface. What's the narrative that's rolling around in their mind that has them telling these mistruths? And how can we dance them into a space of really just honoring themselves and not feeling so frightened? Is there something that we need to check in our relationship with them? Is there something that we need to check in the environment at school for them? What is going on that has forced them underground so that they're not walking and talking their truth? Okay, another really good one, and and this is kind of not your toddler or your four, five, or six-year-old who's coming home with some interesting words from their new schooling situation (laughs) or their daycare. This is the 10-year-old who's coming home and dropping the Mm -hmm. F-bomb. How do you kind of manage that one without any shame? Yeah, (laughs) and so, you know, We have triggers around those kinds of things because we have been um, kind of taught that they're really awful or really naughty or whatever it is. And so part of this is that as a family, you have to sort of decide what is your culture around that kind of language. And then our kids need to know that within the culture that we live, there are norms and expectations around these sorts of things. And so we don't fart at the dinner table. Because that's just not something that we do. And we kind of coach our children along and we don't use shame. We just be firm and we provide the guidelines around all of that. And the same would be true of swearing, that we we don't swear in this home when we're children. Or we don't swear when we're uh, around certain other adults. You know, even when your kids become teenagers and they they might have sort of more colorful language uh, on a more uh, consistent kind of basis, that that there's a time and a place perhaps for those Mm. things. And this is not that time. And never will it be that time, my sweet child. And then we need to watch our own, don't we? Absolutely. Modeling, it's amazing. Walk your talk. Walk your talk. How do we get our teens to do what we want them to do and stop them from doing what we don't want them to do, given that they're on this journey of claiming their own autonomy and independence? These are biological drivers, so I want to kind of, you know, because we know commanding and demanding... It doesn't work at any age, really. So if you've got some suggestions mm-hmm. for our parents of tweens and teens who are pushing them back a bit but right. still need some guidance. So relationship is the be-all and end-all of making sure that your teens sort of pass through this adolescent period in a way that's really going to promote growth and independence rather than stifle it or have them landing in a whole bunch of trouble. And just because uh, they've grown into these big bodies and they're starting to, you know, drive cars and, and do other very independent things, don't fool yourselves for a moment. 
into thinking that you get to retire now <laughs> because they need you as Absolutely. a parent more than ever. And so really focus on the relationship during this period of development. This is not a time for you to step back and let that go. You step in. You carve out sacred time for being with and seeing and hearing your teen so that they really get the message that the relationship is solid and it endures. The other piece of this is to know that when you're in adolescence, you have one arm really reaching forward into the gloriousness of independence and adulthood, but you have a second arm that is in a yearning kind of way reaching backward and sort of longing for the days when life was simpler and you could just fold into your mama's arms and everything in the world would be right again. And so your teen is in this kind of tricky spot of wandering between two worlds and this is going to be an important period of development to ensure that they land on their feet. So don't get bogged down in feeling like they're, you know, being disrespectful or shutting you down or all those things. This is the one arm reaching forward. It's what they got to do in order to go and grow. So honor it and also provide a soft landing for when things get tricky. Hot button issue. Tell me. Let's go to the hottie. A lot of parents, whether they mean to or not, can shame their kids into doing the right thing. And, and I need you to ex- unplug for me why, why basically shame. Mm-hmm. doesn't work and how we can avoid it because a lot of us were raised with very much fear-based, shame-based language in our homes mm-hmm. and we know now that's that's kind of not what we want. And so the research around this in terms of child development and indeed human development across the lifespan is that nothing good has ever come of shame. Rather than shame being correlated with positive outcomes, shame actually ends up being correlated with a whole lot of negative outcomes, more challenges in school, uh, challenges with the law, difficulties around relationships, all of those kinds of things as you grow into an adult. And so we really, really want to make sure that our children do not experience shame as part of their upbringing, that they're not made wrong for being human, that they are honored for being who they are, that we really see them, we really hear them, we really get them, and then we guide them appropriately. And if you were raised in an environment of shame, also know that that's going to be hard for you as a parent because you're going to be triggered back into um, your childlike self, uh, particularly in moments when things have become challenging with your own child. I think the big aspect too is that shame says that you're wrong, mm-hmm. not your behavior is wrong. Right. We must separate yeah, it. Yeah. And that's not easy. And I mm-hmm. and I know sometimes it comes out when we're really frustrated. Don't be so stupid. What we, you know, that sort of, you know, that stuff that can come out when we're frustrated it doesn't come out when we're calm and loving. That's right. And I think it's okay for us to as parents recognize I've just used some shame-based language and I yeah. really I need to be a bigger person, as you say. I need to work on that when I go back in. Hey, so sorry. They, that's not something I'm really proud of and it's it's not okay because I, I love you more than that. Yeah, and I love the idea of parents atoning for those kinds of slips. And we're all going to have them. And then when we can circle back around to our kids and let them see our humanity and also let them see that we've owned it so that they can again trust us in terms of walking forward in the relationship, that they can be safe in leaning into us rather than feeling like they need to be running away from us. Thank you so much, Dr. Vanessa. Thank you, Maggie. Wow, 
So much food for thought. And I understand if you feel like we've pulled a rug from out underneath you. So much of our parenting comes from our own childhood experiences. Keep that in mind. Rewards and punishment really can seem like the quickest and easiest way to get good behaviour from your kids. But connecting before directing, teaching and guiding, that's the stuff that will pay off in the long run. So let me walk you through it again. Instead of barking orders at your kids, remember nobody likes being demanded or commanded, connect, acknowledge and then direct them in another direction. Instead of sending them to their room or putting them in the corner, calmly tell them what you really expect of them right now. Yeah, you will have to repeat yourself over and over and it will be frustrating. (laughs) However, it is your job to establish the boundaries that are based on your family's values and to reinforce them as often as you have to. And when you do lose your temper, because trust me, (laughs) you will, or if you've heard this and think, oh, I've damaged my kids, it's too late to go back, it's never too late. So tell them, I forget sometimes that you're just a kid. I've made the realisation that I might have hurt you right now instead of helped you. I'm sorry I made those choices. And next time on Parental as Anything, homework. The workload, the pressure, the deadlines. I mean, they do a set course of work and then they have constant testing and then there's another group of work that leads them up into exams. It's a pain, but sooner or later we have to face it So how can you help your kids fit homework into both their crazy schedule and your busy lives? That's next on Parental As Anything. So make sure you subscribe on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out Numi Steins' fantastic podcast, Ladies, We Need To Talk. It is a podcast for women, by women. It's raw and it's real. And hey, guys, it wouldn't do you any harm listening to it either. And just a couple of beauties, the mental load and the one on anxiety. Fantastic. Ladies, we need to talk. And I'll catch you next time on Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent. (laughs) 